know, just keep it simple, just like we practice. We're just leaving a message, okay? Women like Allegra Cole don't pick up numbers they don't recognize. Uh, yes, hello, Miss Cole. Hi, I have Albert Brenneman for you. One moment, please. We called her to tell her you're at lunch. Allegra, hi, it's uh, Albert Brenneman. <laughs> hi, how are you? Good, good, I'm doing good. Reason I'm calling is uh, about our appointment this Wednesday. Not gonna be able to make it. Oh, uh, well, when can you make it? Uh, when can I do it? Uh, oh, I don't even know, because my whole next week is slammed. Right, but it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Uh-huh. No, we're going to make it happen, though, that's for sure. We're going to make it happen. Yes. Are you, what's going on over there? Just moving some things around. Sky Studios. Well, tonight I'm actually going to this fashion thing at Sky Studios. Designer friend. Yeah, I just thought it might be something your designer friend Maggie would be interested in. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. Great. Well, then I will put you back on with my. La 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 la. You know, sometimes when we try to do things on our own and don't listen to the advice of others, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. If your kids are like mine, there comes a time when they want to do things by themselves. When they say, leave me alone, I can put my own socks on. I can pick out my own clothes, Daddy, Mommy. I, I, can, I can take the bath on my own. I got it. I can brush my own teeth. Leave me alone. I can do it all by myself. And then there's that day that that every dad dreads the day you become uncool, the day that you drop them off at school and they don't want you to walk them in anymore. That's not cool anymore. And they just barely want you to be seen, you know. It's like, drop me off at the block before. And they're saying, I got this. I can handle it. I don't, I don't need any help. Some people never grow out of that. Some people never grow out of saying, I don't need any help. In fact, if I ask for help... It looks like I'm weak. If I ask for help and say that I've got some things in my life that I need help with, people will think I don't have my act together. Have you ever done that? Had something going on in your life where you say, just leave me alone, I can handle this. I can stop anytime I want to, I can start anytime I want to, I don't need any help, and in reality, you need help. When a strong desire to be self-sufficient and achieve gets out of balance, something creeps into our life called pride. It's okay to, to have healthy self-confidence. It's okay to, 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 to think you know what you're doing. All that's okay. But when that gets out of balance, pride begins to creep in. We're in a series called Doors. If you wonder here for the first time, think, what's that weird door on the stage for? We've been going through a series of messages where God, talking about where God can take things that we think are impossible and make them possible. 
And we began by, by talking about how everybody can walk from the impossible to the possible. And we invited people to come and walk through this door. And a couple hundred people did and said, I want to take that in my life that's impossible and I want to make it possible. You know, if you're living in fear, you don't have to. You can walk through the door and God makes it possible for you to live with courage. If you're living a life that's stressed out and overworked and you just wonder, where's the peace in my life? Where's this peace I've heard people say they have? Where, where can I get it? Well, you can walk through the door even if you think it's impossible. From peace, from, if you can walk through the door from stress to peace. And today, many people stand on this side of the door dealing with that big P word I just said, pride. Needing to walk through the door to humility. We all deal with it. We all deal with pride. You may think you don't, but you do. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of pride that says I'm proud of my child or I'm proud of my nicely manicured lawn or I'm proud of my country or my school. That's not the kind of pride I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of pride that is so self-centered it leaves you living on this side of the door where you weren't meant to live. The definition of pride is this, a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, or merit. You know, when I was thinking about what, what's the next topic to help people move from the impossible to the possible, I thought, wow, pride, that's a tough topic. That's a tough thing to talk about because not many people say, I'm prideful. Yeah, I got that. I got that going on for me. I'm full of pride. So usually when it comes to messages like this, that, that I know you're not going to be sitting at lunch today saying, well, I needed that. I need to know how prideful I am. You know, most of the time you don't verbalize that kind of thing. I usually just ask one of the other guys on the teaching team to, to take that. Rob, Darren, we're talking about pride in two weeks. Could you uh, handle that one for me? It's a different kind of lunch conversation after you've heard somebody talk about pride. But the Bible talks about it. The Bible tells us specifically how to deal with it. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now on both sides. If you're here for the first time, or if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll give you one. It's yours to keep if you need an extra one. We believe that book has the story of God's quest to capture the hearts of humans, and you can read about it. Follow along in there or on the screen as I read today. As I begin to read and reread all of the verses about pride, I begin to feel this conviction thinking, well, here's some things I'm dealing with that are prideful, so maybe other people are too. And in James chapter 4 in the New Testament, James, a follower of Christ, writes this about pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I mean, that sounds a little tough. You I mean, God, when I'm prideful, God opposes me. Yeah. When I'm living on this side of the door saying, I don't need any help. When I'm living on this side of the door thinking, I've got it all figured out. I've got my life going just the way it is. And I can start, I can stop anything that's going on in my life anytime I want. And I don't think I need any help. When I don't think I need any help, I can't be helped. Anybody that's ever been helped through a difficult situation in their life or broken an addiction or, or, or gotten a relationship back on track in their life, they know the first place to start is saying, I need help. I've got a problem. First place. And what James in James chapter 4 is telling us is, if you don't think you need help, 
you're in opposition to God because He can't help you if you don't even recognize you need help. Pride is what took out the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Just open up the book of Genesis. You can start reading about Adam and Eve, God creating both of them and, and placing this tree in the middle of garden, in the middle of the Garden of Eden, and he says, don't eat off this tree. Now, why would God place a tree in a, in a beautiful paradise where they would be tempted to eat from it? Well, without true choice, there is not true love. And God knew, I want them to choose to love me. I don't want them to be forced. And without bad, there's not good. So God created this tree for them to stay away from to test their love for him and to make sure they always had a choice. Well, one day their pride got the best of them. And they were enticed by the evil one, by Satan himself. And he said, if you do what God told you not to do, you're going to be as smart as he is. You're going to have as much wisdom as God if you just do this. And so they lived on this side of the door and they allowed the pride to take over in their life. And they got burned. They were shut out from God's presence. Pride is a poison. Living on this side of the door of pride, it it will mess you up. It'll trip you up. The Bible says it will literally make you fall. In the Old Testament, book of Proverbs, chapter 16, it says, pride goes before destruction and a big ego before a big fall. You don't have to live here on this side. You can walk through the door. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Man, I wish, I wish she was here to hear this message about pride. You know, messages about, you know, really convicting things about what big changes that need to happen. There's always somebody else that needs to hear it, right? Or maybe you're thinking, pride, I, I'm the most humble person I know. How could, how could I be dealing with pride? You may be dealing with it, and the truth is we've all lived here. We've all lived on the side of pride. Maybe you don't even recognize it. One day, Jesus' disciples, his inner circle, the men he chose to help take his message to the rest of the world, were walking along the road, and they began to argue. They began to argue about which one was greater. And this one said, hey, I I, I think I'm the best. They pulled me aside, and he said, I like you the most. And then the next one says, no, 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 it's me. And another one says, you're both wrong. I'm the best. And here are the men that Jesus had charged with sharing the gospel of Christ with the world, arguing about who's the greatest. They were allowing their pride to get the best of them. Pride doesn't always look the same in every person. I realize that. You may be prideful in one way, somebody else prideful in the other way, but there's, there's different forms of pride. There's the pride that says, I'm better than you. You're not as good as I am. You don't, you don't make decisions the right way. And man, could you believe she's that kind of a parent? Can you believe they let their kids do that? I am so much better parent than they are because look what I allow my kids to do. I'm so much better of an employee because look what I do. That kind of pride says I'm better than you. It was like the lady that came to her pastor and said, Pastor, I am dealing with pride. Every time I come to church, I walk by this other group of ladies, and in my mind I think how much prettier I am than all of them. And it's just tearing me up inside. What, what can I do? And he said, ma'am, you're not struggling with pride. That's a mistake. <laughs> pride, pride that says I'm better than you shows itself in a critical 
attitude? Are you walking through life with a sour, critical attitude about other people? Are you thinking every time, maybe it's a certain person, maybe it's just everybody, maybe you're negative Ned or negative Nelly and just this critical attitude all the time about everybody and the first thing you think is critical. Pride shows itself that way. Pride shows itself in the way I treat other people. It shows itself in the way I talk about other people in their presence or when they're not around. It shows itself in the way I feel about people who may have made some huge mistakes in their life. When I look down at them and think, how could you do that? How could you make that kind of, how could you do that to your husband or your wife or your kids or your employer? How could you do that? That kind of pride makes you start to feel like, well, I would never do that, when the reality is you are one decision away from being right where they are. And maybe they did what you've thought about doing. Pride that says I'm better than you leads nowhere. Then there's what's in it for me pride. Everybody wants to know what's in it for me. Our youngest daughter went through our house speaking her first words, saying, mine, mine, mine. Those were her first three words, and those are the only three words she knew. It seemed like years, but it was a few months. That's all she could say. And she went through the house and declared everything was hers. And I would touch something, mine, mine, mine. And her older sister would touch something, mine, mine, mine. Everything belonged to her. Mine, mine, mine. It's mine. Some people never grow out of that. Some people are 40 years old, still walking around. Mine, mine, mine. I want to know what's in it for me. Relationally, if I'm going to get in a relationship, I want to know what's in it for me. It's mine. Financially, if I'm going to do anything, what is in it for me? Spiritually, I'm going to do something, what's in it for me? And you might be thinking, well, you have to be in it for you. That's just the way the world works. If you're not in it for you, nobody else is in it for you. So you've got to look out for number one. You have to do that. It's impossible to live any other way, not according to God. It's possible to move from pride to humility. Then there's, I can do it myself, pride. I don't need any help. I've got this covered. I, 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 this addiction, I don't need any help. I can stop at any time. Perfectionists hang out over here. The perfectionist that not only tries to get everything right in their life, but make everything right in your life too. You know, what the, what, you know who I'm talking about. You know the kind of perfectionist I'm talking about. Marriage counseling is for wimps, is said over here. Ah, we're not going to go to counseling? Please, what if somebody found out? What if they knew? We can beat this on our own. I can get through this alone. You were not created nor designed to do things on your own. Adam and Eve wasn't. God said about them. It is not good for people to live life alone. So to think that you can get through a difficult time, an addiction, relational problems, financial problems, to think you can get through all that on your own is to say, God, you don't know what's best. I do. I can do it myself. If you could have making your marriage better by now, wouldn't you have already done it? If you could have beaten the addiction by now, wouldn't you have already beaten it? If you could have already fixed the things in your life that you're saying, whoa, 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 I can take care of this on my own. If you could have done it, wouldn't you have already done it? Wouldn't you be somewhere different? Then there's, it doesn't apply to me pride. You know, I never read directions. If we get a shelf or something we have to put together, I immediately open the box. That doesn't apply to me. 
Because I can do things without directions. That's for, you know, dumb people who need to read directions. Anybody in here not read directions when you get something new? Most, most of us, and some women too, all right. Several of us, we don't need directions. Now, you other people, less intelligent people, that's who those directions are for. And you know when they give you something like a shelf to put, they always put extra parts in. And I've tried to convince my wife of that for 15 years. Honey, these extra parts are there in case you need them. They're, they're not supposed to be anywhere. What's this little thing? Oh, it's extra. It's something they put in there in case you want it. It's optional. Some people think, just like I think the directions don't apply to me, some people think God's direction doesn't apply to them. And what God has to say doesn't apply to them. It's like this. I know God said that, that lust, emotionally and mentally, it is, is the same as physically committing adultery. God said, ooh, God said that's the same. He said somebody that's habitually lusting, it's the same thing. But how many of us walk feet first into lust, whether it's something you look at on the internet or read or listen to or watch, whatever it is, just feet first into it and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I can stop this at any time. It's just a, it's just a little thing I do every now and then. How many people read God's design for relationships and say, no, that doesn't apply to me. We, we can live together. It doesn't really matter. We don't have to wait till we're married. How many times have people read God saying, forgive other people? And the way you forgive other people is the way I'm going to forgive you. And you say, well, you don't know what they did. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know how bad they hurt me. I, I'm not going to forgive. I know you said to, but something about forgiveness feels like I'm giving them, giving validation of what they did, which it's not. But still, those feelings are there, and, and I'm just not going to do it. I know, I know God said to do it, but that does not apply to me. How about this? I, I know my church is always asking, hey, sign up and serve. Your life will change when you start to serve. When you, when you begin to serve, your life will be different. You'll grow. You'll meet people. You'll feel purpose like you never felt before. When you just stop being a spectator and start being a participator. And we tell people at LifePoint all the time, come and spectate for a while. Check it out. Kick the tires. But there's going to be a time that we hope you say, I don't want to spectate anymore. I want to participate the Bible clearly talks about what it means to be involved in serving God, serving the world, serving people that need us. It may not be at life point, but serve somewhere, somehow. And don't just say, I'm a watcher. That service stuff doesn't, doesn't apply to me. So Jesus took those same disciples, the same ones who were arguing about who was going to be greatest, and he gave them a lesson on humility. And he showed them how to move from the side of pride to the side of humility. And he gave them the ultimate lesson. It was one night they were going in to eat dinner. And they get there. And in that culture, by the door would have been a bowl and a pitcher of water and a towel. And nobody was there for it. And these disciples who 
Everybody thinks they're the best one. They come in and they see that nobody's there to man the bowl and the pitcher and the towel because they were wearing sandals. They didn't have Nikes and hiking boots and they were walking along these dirty streets and their feet were nasty. There was sweat between their foot and the sandal and the dirt and it was muddy in between their toes. It was nasty. And then they come in to eat and they didn't just belly up to the table and say, you know, give me a steak. That's not how it worked. In their culture, when they ate, they reclined. They, they literally got on the floor like this and just kind of, I mean, hey, what's up? Let's eat dinner. And when they ate, that somebody would sit here, somebody would sit there, and somebody would sit there. So in my face were somebody's feet. Stinky. Yeah, that's gross. I'm glad culture changed and we eat sitting up at tables now. But somebody's dirty feet were right there in my face. And all these guys are not concerned about eating with dirty feet in their face. They're thinking, I want to feed my face and somebody better wash my feet because I'm hungry. And they're looking at each other thinking, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm better than you, remember? And all of a sudden, maybe out of the corner of the room, they hear the water being poured in to the basin. And they look, and there's Jesus putting a towel around his waist and going to each of them before dinner and kneeling before them and taking their feet and washing the dirt from between the toes and the mud out from under the bottom of their feet and making sure they got served. I bet it was quiet in that room that day. I bet there wasn't one ounce of pride in anybody. And Jesus, with that one act, going from person to person and washing their feet, took those disciples and walked them from the side of pride to the side of humility. And he said this, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's something about moving from pride to humility that brings blessing in your life that can't be attained any other way. Don't misunderstand humility. Humility is not weakness. Humility is not a, a, a position of being weak. Humility is a position of strength. It's not beat yourself up low self-esteem. It's the opposite of pride. See, we see it differently sometimes through the world's eyes. We think, over oh, here's the strength. I can pull myself up. I can do anything, and I'm not ever going to be like that. And, and I can just make things right in my life, and I can conquer, and I'm, I'm a fighter, and I can make it. We think that's the strength. But in reality, God sees the strength over here. When you're willing to put the towel around your waist, pick up the basin, pour in the water, and say, who's got dirty feet? That's where God says strength is. We think it's over there. It's really over here. So God expects each of us to be humble. We're all in this together humility. We're doing this together. Wash each other's feet. Serve each other. I'm not talking about whipping off your socks and shoes right now. and having. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about serving other people where their needs are. Maybe it is literally for you. 
I know one time in my life it was. I had this argument with somebody. It was at this, this big church-type camp we were at, and, and I said something, she said something. It was just a little bit of an argument, and, and you know, I was just like, I'm fine, be that way, and, and just went on. And then that night, closing down devotional time after we'd played sports all day and hiked and done all this hot, sweaty stuff in the hot sun of South Louisiana, and, and we're sitting there, lights go dim, and I wasn't sure what was going on, and here come these people up the sides with bowls and pitchers and towels. And this person whom I had had, you know, a big disagreement with came to the front of my chair, knelt at my feet, and began to remove my shoes and socks and wash my feet. That will humble you faster than anything because how could you say no? For somebody that's willing to say, I'm willing to do this to show you I was wrong or I'm not going to let this put a wedge between us. And God's not saying literally go do that, but if it fits, maybe you should. What can I do to help humility? That's what you find on this side of the door. Not asking what's in it for me, but how can I help? If you need something, let me help. Instead of saying, what's in it for me? I want to know what I'm going to get out of this. How about walking through the door to humility and saying, I want to help. And then there's whatever it takes humility on this side of the door. Whatever it takes. Our marriage is going to get better, whatever it takes. I don't care who knows we needed the counseling. I don't care who I go, how we get the help, but we're going to get help, whatever it takes. I'm going to beat this addiction, I'm going to admit it, I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to admit I got the problem, I'm going to go through however many steps I need to, but I need the help, and whatever it takes to end this in my life, no matter what anybody thinks, I'm going to do it. And then there's over here, because it's what's best for me, humility. See, the Bible's not full of arbitrary suggestions. There's a reason God said for us to avoid certain things and to do certain things. God's view of forgiveness may not feel good all the time, but it's what's best for you. It may not feel good to forgive somebody who has deeply hurt you, and you may enjoy keeping that with you, but when you do that, you're living over here on the side of pride. God's view is forgive somebody, walk through the door, and do what it takes because it's what's best for me. What's best for me is to forgive. What's best for me is to view sexuality the way God views it. That's how God intended it to be, and that's what's best for me. Not just watching here on Sunday, but actually participating and jumping on a service team and saying, because it's what's best for me. When we ask people to serve at LifePoint, every time we talk about, let's, let's try to motivate people to help serve and get people plugged into some of these opportunities that we have, whether it's watching babies or setting up the stage or doing something with teenagers in the middle of the week, whatever it is, we always think it's not so much that we just need this. It's so much that we're convinced that you need it because it's what's best. God can change something that seems impossible to the possible through walking through the door 
to humility. Living on this side is where relationships are healed and addictions are broken. This is where the focus shifts off of self and onto something much greater. On this side is where you can begin to explore questions about God or faith and just listen to what God has to say and not try to figure it all out for yourself, but just listen. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're still trying to figure out who God is and how how all that works. Over here is where you're going to find answers. And many people today that are living here need to pick up the bowl and the towel, pour the water in the basin, and walk through the door from pride to humility and say, where can I remove the pride from my life and bring humility into it? It's not a position of weakness. In fact, it's a position of strength. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this these words in your in your word in your bible that tell us about our hearts and god for people that came in today dealing with pride dealing with thinking they can figure it all out on their own or life's all about them or looking down at someone else god i pray that you work in their heart and help to help them in a very real and spiritual way pick up the the basin and fill it with water And walk into humility. And live in humility. Father, it's so easy for us to mess up and be prideful. We ask that you deliver us from that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.